Welcome to the Team Health Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency podcast program. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer. This program is pertinent to all of us, our practices and our lives outside of medicine. We all have biases. We're aware of some conscious biases and unaware of others, unconscious biases or implicit biases. When did we learn those? In childhood. They unfortunately limit the growth of people around us and in fact our own. How do we eliminate those biases? There's only one way and that's to become aware of them actively and then address them. So we're gonna talk about this in two podcasts. The first today, uh, just the concepts of bias that we all experience or see. So today I'm thrilled to have with us two articulate experts uh, that teach me uh, a lot about uh, biases and biases in medicine. Uh, One, Dr. Stan Thompson, uh, who uh, is the chief clinical officer for the LifePoint group of Team Health. It includes both emergency medicine and hospital medicine. He chairs Team Health's diversity, equity, and inclusion strategic program. He's a great leader and a compelling and engaging presenter. Uh, Stan, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me, Rob. And also with us today is Khadija Hay, Team Health's Chief Clinical Officer for OB Hospitalist Services. Khadija, you've written one of the most erudite treatises on the history of disparities, and you chair one of our diversity and inclusion subgroups. Thank you as well for being here. Yes, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in. Uh, Stan, Khadija, I, I really appreciate your being part of this, but to lay the groundwork, perhaps we should briefly discuss biases and biases in medicine. Stan, we all have biases, conscious and unconscious, that affect how we live, how we respond to others socially, in the workplace, and all through our lives. So though we as clinicians think we're scientists, we're not without our own significant biases. Would you start by uh, providing us with a brief background on biases, uh, providing some medical context? Yeah, yeah, sure will, Rob. And, and, and Rob, the thing is, you're absolutely right about biases. I mean, um, we all have biases, and I'm speaking specifically to implicit and those unconscious biases. Those uh, implicit unconscious biases are those that uh, they are a function of a, a subtle cognitive process that often falls below our level of consciousness. And, and you're right, we, we, we get exposed to these um, through, our, through our parents, through our family, our friends, the media, social media, and alike. And these biases get reinforced over years um, by that environment. And so it doesn't even matter whether the bias is true or false or whether you on a conscious level even believe that to be true or false. It's just the fact that you've repeatedly been exposed to this, to this stimuli that it, it enters your subconscious and comes out. So your brain has to uh, assimilate millions of bits of information coming at it at the same time. So it's, it's going to take some shortcuts. So, for example, if I showed you, if I quickly flashed a red octagonal sign in front of you with some letters on it, you would think that was a stop sign, irregardless of what that sign showed. No difference in our bias. If the media shows you 
when you watch the news all your life, every night, every morning, or whatever it is, when it shows you that when they report crime statistics and they show you that the majority of crime is is perpetrated by African-American males, even though 77% of, of, of crime is perpetrated by white males, your, your subconscious absorbs that. So it's not surprising that when you walk down the street on a dimly lit street, you see an African-American male coming your way, you may cross the street or you may clutch your purse a little tighter. It's just because that unconscious bias of stimuli that you've been exposed to all your life shows up in that moment. And we as physicians, it, it enters into the medical space because one, we're no different. Just because we're scientists, we're still human beings. We still have been exposed to the same environmental uh, input and stimuli. And then to make matters worse, we often get taught some biases in our medical training. And because they actually reinforce some of the biases that we've taught, that have been taught to the general public, they show up in, in, in our medical treatment. You know, you know, you know, we're just not immune to these biases. I love your two examples or several of your examples, particularly, I mean, the, I, it's kind of an aha when you say stop sign, but it says go perhaps. Um, but I would always think immediately red octagonal sign. And you're right. We have been taught to look at groups of people and assume that individuals uh, instead of being treated as individuals are a member of that group so they must whatever uh thank you for that khadijah first congratulations on uh, the publication of your article on in, in modern healthcare it's fantastic uh, I know that you've studied the history of disparities in, in medicine and, and as I said have written one of the most erudite treatises that I've ever seen on the topic. Uh, can you describe for us how biases make their way into medicine? Absolutely. And you know, I couldn't agree more with some extent examples of biases and how they come about. But specifically in medicine, I think what you notice at times are biases can result in differing outcomes or how we provide care to patients. And I think a lot of that in certain instances stems from the fact that the physician or the provider and the patient have incongruent experiences. So whether it's differing races, differing sex, differing socioeconomic backgrounds, or like I said, experiences in general, that can shape how a physician or a provider treats or views a patient. So for example, if you are not used to treating patients, perhaps from a certain religious background, you may make certain assumptions about how they want to receive care, how they want to be communicated with. And so that is how I think uh, oftentimes biases can creep into the medical practice because you may not relate to the person or understand the patient's um, background and where they're coming from. So that's great. And I anticipate that we'll get into some of those specific biases and the examples uh, in, later in this and in the next uh, podcast. So, um, but for today and, and now, can you each describe some of the biases that you've seen or personally experienced? Stan? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, you, unfortunately, you know, being Black American and, and, and walk around in a majority um, state, city, county, uh, I encounter biases all the time, you know, so 
and and it almost becomes somewhat commonplace. So I'll give her. I'll give a simple example. So you know, and and this was I, I consider it pretty harmless, but I mean probably daily because I'm six five. Um, somebody says, "Oh, I know you played basketball in college. Where'd you play ball in college?" Or they just make the assumption that I played ball in college. Or, I, or if I had a scholarship, I and I did have a scholarship in college, and so people assume it's a it's a athletic or basketball scholarship. When actually it was an academic and a music scholarship, I was not that good at basketball <laughs> at all. <laughs> I got better later, Rob. I got better later, but I was not that good. And I was a tall, lanky, my body hadn't caught up with my, my growth yet. It wasn't very coordinated. But, you know, those, and, that, and that's pretty benign. But, you know, there are some biases that, you know, they're, they're kind of hurtful. You know, I, my wife and I have done this and this has happened to us more than one time. We go We've moved several times. We go house shopping. We go into the model home. And um, there's quite a few people in there to be shown around. And we get shown around last. And then we get the, oh, you do know this, these houses start at 400000 right? And I say, well, on a physician salary, I think I, think I can afford the mortgage. You know, so, so things like that. You know, when I was sitting at a desk, in an emergency department and I'm sitting at the desk, a long desk, there's many providers at the desk and there's several nurses, another doc, APC, I'm sitting last. You know, a lot of times people will pass everybody else and come to me and ask, uh, can I get them a blanket or, or a cup of water? Regardless that I have my white coat on and my stethoscope around my neck. So, I mean, these biases just happen and people just, it, it just, doesn't come to their awareness. It's it's just not overt racism. It's these biases that enter that I don't think. And if I call them out on it, they I think everybody I just mentioned would be surprised and taken aback. But it just comes across that way. Wow. So I I don't know how you don't get angry i think i would i'm sure i would over time and and yet um as you've described it it's just what happens uh so i i would be interested but maybe later on in this podcast talking about how you do address it with people uh what's the right way uh khadija how about you uh what what uh bias have you experienced absolutely so i think you know Similar to Finn, I've had a number of biases, whether it be in my career or in my daily life. But specifically around uh, my medical profession, oftentimes when I walk in the room, patients never assume or seem to not assume that I would be the physician. You know, even if I introduce myself as Dr. Hay, you know, and they're on the phone, they'll say, okay, got to go. My nurse is in the room, you know, even though I introduced myself as a physician, because it's just not natural to believe that. I've had times where um, I had a medical student with me, you know, especially um, when I was became an attending and they assumed the medical student was a physician and I was there, you know, helping them. So it happens a lot, you know, and in my personal life, um, it actually intersected um, in the medical field, but it was when I was as a patient myself being treated and going for a procedure. And I never forget the pre-op nurse was very curt, not the most warm or friendly. And gave me instructions, talked to me as if I was not well-educated or assumed, I wouldn't really understand the nuances of why certain things have to happen or 
or explaining the, the process, the way it was described to me and the way it was shared with me was very curt, very, just not warm, right? You know, not that caring feeling. And, you know, as it always does happen, typically, I don't lead off saying I'm a physician, but there's always something that gives me away. You know, we can't help it. We might say a word, you know, um, and then it's clear they know <laughs> that we, we are in the profession. And so it happened in that situation. And then she asked, oh, what, what do you do for a living? You know, because I, I probably said AC or something, you know, about where to find my, um, I place my IV. And so when I told her I was a physician, you would, it was a total 180, total 180 in terms of how she treated me. She was more jovial, more engaging. And, you know, initially I didn't think anything of it because I said, well, maybe that's just her personality, right? To be very direct and blunt and borderline rude and condescending. But I'm like, you know, if that's how she is with everyone, then so be it. But I, it was clear to me that she could do differently because she did in that moment. And it was, it was very obvious to me personally. Now, for those on the giving end of that behavior, they may not even realize it. Um, if you've never been on the receiving end of that sort of dynamic, um, it can seem harmless to you, or you may not even be aware that you're coming across that way. But it's very obvious to us on the receiving end, noticing the differences in how people treat you when they recognize that you're a professional, right? Whether it be a medical professional, lawyer, engineer, whatever the case may be, you notice that subtle difference. And that is that kind of unconscious bias, because I don't think that nurse had any intention of being that way, but it was very clear unconsciously that there was a shift in the behavior and the treatment. Thank you, Khadijah. Uh, I'm upset to hear that. I, I'm thankful that you were able to turn it around, but the fact that you had to experience it in the first place, and again, that sort of stereotype approach to you and to you, Stan, um, is, is, is terrible. But I, again, I'm, I'm so impressed with how easily and lightly, uh, with lightness, you're able to discuss this. I, it's, it's, it's great. So let me ask you another question. Um, those are your experiences, but can you talk to us about maybe how this affects patients that you've seen um, or observed? Uh, Khadijah, would you start with one? Yeah. So as far as biases, what I've witnessed in caring for patients, oftentimes there is assumptions. There are assumptions that are being made, right, about a, about a patient based on a number of factors. So sometimes it's racial, sometimes it may be socioeconomic, it could be the way they're dressed, um, that assumptions are made, and it does impact the care they receive. And personally, I've witnessed it, and I and when I do witness it, I do try to call it out. And, you know, a specific example would be, you know, when a patient shows up and they automatically assume if it's a if it's a African American or black patient that shows up by themselves or with a male that it's not their husband, right? They're not married. They assume that it's the boyfriend or just the father of the baby. And whereas when patients of other you know racial backgrounds, they may automatically assume that the person with them is their husband. And so in those moments when I see that difference in um, treatment. I do try to call it out and I'll say, well, you know, it could be, you know, I don't like the term FOB, right? Father of the baby. Cause you know, I always assume when I walk into a talk with a patient and I say, Oh, who is this with you? Is this your husband? You know, because I want to give everybody that respect. And so I try to make an effort to treat everyone consistently, regardless of their background or how they present. And so in the moment I do make every effort 
call that out when I notice others treating patients a little differently or having those biases because sometimes it, not only is there a bias in terms of their background, but there is a bias in how they approach that patient and how they counsel them, how they treat them. And so those are just some examples of things that I've seen, you know, as a provider and witness and in caring for patients. Thank you. Great example. And I've seen uh, recently a program that uh, really emphasizes that exact issue of how uh, people look at a different great group or race of people and just make all kinds of assumptions, uh, particularly in the OB setting. Uh, Stan, how about you? Do you have a, a, an example you could share? Yeah, unfortunately, Rob, I have a have a myriad of examples I could share, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, spare, I'll spare you for time's sake. Um, you know, so being an emergency medicine physician, you know, there there are many times that I notice that um, patients of color, you know, how we we bring patients back to the emergency department, a big busy emergency department by acuity level, right? And so there have been many times that I've noticed that uh, patients of color would actually a higher ESI higher acuity level classification will be brought back after, even if they showed up first, after um, um, people not of color, uh, of, 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 of white patients. So I, I've noticed that. And, and as a medical director, I had to speak out of that. I follow other clinicians who do turnovers to me. And I, and I notice some patterns that when I take over for a patient who has a, a complaint of a painful condition, that the people of color may receive, you know, Tylenol or acetaminophen, where other patients may receive morphine or other drugs. So it, it and that and pain is a big, big bias in in medicine. You know, there there have been studies that you know, you know, when I'm getting out of my personal experience, you know, there have been many several studies, many studies that have shown that there's a bias in in pain treatment and when, you know in in uh, when you look at cancer patients with the exact same diagnosis of cancer and you look at their um, um, prescribed pain medication, it's often very different black versus white or people of color versus white receiving uh, smaller doses or, or no pain medication for the same condition. Same thing that showed up in appendicitis in children. Same thing that showed up in supracondylar fractures in children, you know, lesser, longer time for pain administration in children of color than than. Than, than, than white children. So, and, and when you think about it, just only if, if you're old enough, think about honestly, the response to the crack epidemic that, that wreaked havoc on the inner city and think of the response of the opioid epidemic that was more, that, that's more white American affected and how in the crack epidemic, those who were addicted to crack were labeled more as criminals. And in the opioid epidemic, those addicted to opioids are, are, are labeled more as victims and patients. That's a really great example, Stan. You know, it's one of the things that I have noticed myself and had a number of conversations with my husband and friends, many of which who happen to be in healthcare as well. And the crux of that is criminalizing one group and turning around and with the next group, especially with the opioid um, epidemic, calling them patients, right? And recognizing that this is a disease. And what was the difference? Well, the main difference between those two is the racial makeup of the majority of the patients that are impacted by that epidemic. And so even today we see it. And then when you call it out, it's meant 
with defensiveness. I mean, I've had issues, instances where I've called it out and people get very defensive because they don't want to be painted with that racial brush. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're racist, but it does indicate some bias. And we do need to address that and recognize that. One of the things we need to decouple, we need to decouple bias and bad. Because if you automatically connect bias to bad, people are going to defend their biases. And if you defend your biases, then you're never going to move forward because you're they're going to stay subconscious because the first step in recognizing your biases is to bring them into the awareness, is to make them conscious. So we need to uncouple bad and bias and say everyone has bias so you can bring out your bias, so you can make your bias conscious. And that's the first step in getting in, in, in getting past your bias. So, Khadija, the example that you bring up helps, and Stan, you as well, helps, I think, us all to understand that it's not just individual bias, but we wind up with a systemic problem that everybody looks uh, the, the same way. Everybody makes the assumptions, and then it gets built into our systems and our systems of practice. So you, you mentioned both of you in your discussions, methods of confronting and what happens when you confront, what can we do as clinicians or, yeah, sorry. What can we do to address the biases. When do you confront? What do you say? So, um, again, my, my always uh, first step is to one recognize that you have bias, and and bias is not a race thing. I I, I have biases. I know I have biases. I've, I've 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 taken the Harvard implicit bias test and proved that I have biases. I had gender biases that I wasn't aware of. I had African American biases, black biases. And you say, how, how is that possible? You're black. How can you have black bias? Well, I still watch the same news you do. I still uh, get the same information from TV. I still get the same information everybody else does repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And so that's how I still can develop bias. So one, you have to realize that you have bias. That is the first step. And then you have to, you have to slow down because bias happens most, most often Bias happens when you make quick judgments and, and, and when, when, you're, when you're in a stressful or fast-paced environment, like medicine can be, you make snap. You have to slow your brain down. And one of the ways you can, you can, you can overcome bias, especially in, in the practice of medicine, see everyone like they're your family. It, it'll remove, if, if, you, if you make a human connection with each and every patient that you see, and intentionally do so, and I'm taking taking shortcuts here, but you intentionally do so, that will help you uh, over, have overcome biases. Two, if you do feel a bias, if you can catch it and recognize it, think about it. Don't just dismiss it. Stay on it for a while and ask yourself, where did I get that from? How did I come up with that? Is that true in this situation? Or was that just true in that other situation? And then just question yourself. Don't just let it go subconsciously and keep rolling with it. If you do catch it, question it. And that, that's just a few hints or tips, tips to overcome bias. 
Thanks, Dan. Khadija? Absolutely. And, you know, Sam, those are some of the things I try to implement myself at kind of litmus test. I say to myself, you know, is if this is my grandmother, would I think the same thing? Um, and I try to impart that um, not just for myself, but for those that I may have influence over, especially when you're looking at education. And that's one of the areas I think we need to focus on. So individually, what do we do? And I, and I agree, the awareness campaign is the first step. But how do we make people aware? And I think a lot of times, sorry, we have to focus on educating those, especially in the healthcare field, at the very beginning of their healthcare um, education journey. So it's talking about biases in the medical school setting, in residencies, making sure that we have people there that are well-versed in this area addressing this topic. I think it's very new and something that some medical schools are starting to address. I think it really needs to be a cornerstone of the educational um, perspective when we're training new providers, you know, that are going to eventually come into the world and take care of all of us as patients. So I think there needs to be more emphasis on training at the very beginning on how to be aware of these biases, how they impact care of patients and outcomes. And then ongoing education is another piece to that that I think we need to focus on. Even if you've heard it once, it never hurts to keep hearing it over and over again and making sure that it's at the forefront of your consciousness so that when you do encounter a bias, you're more easily asked to recognize it yourself and make the effort to shift your focus and shift how you perceive um, people. And so, you know, I really, from my perspective, I focus more from a healthcare background. Obviously, this can apply in any industry and setting. Um, but speaking as a physician, those are things that I don't think we do enough of in educating, you know, up, up and coming providers. And even those of us that have been in practicing for a number of years, I think that Initial and ongoing education is really key to enhance that awareness. I, I totally agree. Now, I spoke on, um, you know, what individuals can do for the individual bias, but what Khadija just pointed on is key, especially with learning institutions. Is we're we're training doctors to be and clinicians to be good doctors and good clinicians, and I think your education is subpar unless you have some training in in and cultural biases. So many studies have shown whether you, those biases result in poor outcomes for that group of patients. So I think to, to, to train and put good doctors out there, all medical school and training institutions need to talk about uh, um, biases and have uh, cultural competency type training. But that, that goes into whole organizations, right? I mean, I think there's organizational responsibility for every organization, especially in healthcare, but even other organizations like Khadija mentioned. You don't you don't expect all your employees to show up and know all the compliance rules, right? You don't expect them to have individual um, um, thoughts about whether they're complying with the Stark laws and that kind of thing. So organizations should also do things to make sure that their employees have cultural competency and realize about biases and why diversity, equity, and inclusion is important. Thank you, Khadija. Thank you, Stan. And thank you to our listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast with Drs. Stan Thompson and Khadija Hay. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me, Rob Strauss, at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. That's beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.